Turn to Luke's Gospel, please. Luke chapter 22. Just a couple of verses to consider tonight and those two verses are 31 and 32. Luke 22 verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So that's Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And the title of my sermon is Jesus Prayed for Simon. It was the night before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover meal had been eaten. Satan had entered Judas Iscariot the apostle who would betray Jesus. And now we see in verses 31 and 32 of Luke chapter 22 that Jesus uh, has said to Simon Peter, Behold, Satan have desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. First of all, what I want to consider with you is the reality of Satan. In verse 31, we see that Satan, who, as I say, had already entered Judas Iscariot, had his sights set on Simon Peter as well. Let's be very clear about something, and that is that Satan, or the devil, is not simply a synonym for evil. He is real, and he is in the world. It's not for nothing that about 30 years after What we read here, with Satan desiring to have Simon Peter, that in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, the same man whom Jesus prayed for, Simon Peter, he said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, 30 years on, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We saw that in our first reading, didn't we? In Job chapter 1. Satan walking around the earth. And in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, it is written, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. We can see Satan in action time and again in the world. And we see examples of it in the Bible. We've seen it in Job chapter 1. And also in the New Testament, we see that after the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. Even though Satan is in the world, he's not obvious. He doesn't announce his arrival, neither does he walk about with a placard uh, with his name written on it. He is more likely to conceal his identity. And so it is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, we are told that Satan transforms himself 
as an angel of light. I tend to think of that verse when the doorbell rings and I open the door to those nice, smart, smiley Jehovah's Witnesses who come to my house bringing their false gospel that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. This is often what Satan does. He uses people to tempt, to confuse and to corrupt others. Again, it's not for nothing that Jesus, speaking to unbelieving Jews who sought to kill him, said to them, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. (coughs) Satan is extremely devious, far more devious than you and me. For example, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, we are told that 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 serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. Perhaps the most tragic example of Satan's cunning, and most certainly the example that with the most devastating effects, was when Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. That happened when she was beguiled by Satan, and she caved into temptation. As it is written in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 and 6. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. As a result of the cunning of Satan and the sin in the garden that followed, sin and death have passed on to everyone. We all come into this world as hell-deserving sinners, every one of us. And the reality of it soon becomes apparent, even in the youngest of children. And that is precisely why Christ Jesus came into the world, to save sinners like you and like me from the penalty of sin, from its power and from its presence. Secondly, Satan desires to have and to sift as wheat. Let's have a look at the Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You'll notice that Satan desired to have Simon Peter. In other words, Satan sought permission from God to attack him. Therefore, does Satan do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it? Most certainly not. Although Satan is described as the God of this world in the Bible, whatever he does, he does with Almighty God's permission. And God does give him permission. We can see that to be the case in the Old Testament book of Job. Job was a blameless and upright man, one who feared God 
one who shunned evil, despite him being a godly man, Satan was permitted by God to attack him in accordance with God's purpose. As it is written in Job chapter 1 and verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. Later on the Lord permitted Satan to smite Job, but not to kill him. Thirdly, Jesus intercedes for some, but not for all. Jesus prayed, but not for everyone. We have no reason to imagine that he prayed for Judas Iscariot. But we know that Jesus prayed for Simon Peter, whom he loved. We can see something of that great love of Jesus for Peter in the way he said, Simon, Simon. In other words, dearest Simon. Even so, for the time being, at any rate, there was no question of Jesus addressing him as Peter. After all, that name means stone. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, after Simon's amazing confession and expression of faith in Jesus, when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him on that occasion, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then when you turn over the pages and you get to Acts of the Apostles, you'll see something of the fulfilment of what Jesus said there. With Simon Peter preaching that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost and uh, being sent to the house of Cornelius the Centurion, a Gentile, and so on and so on. And the early days of the church being built and people being added to the church, such as should be saved. And Peter there preaching repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Alas, in our verses before us in Luke chapter 22, the apostle was anything but a stone or a rock. In fact, very soon he would deny the Lord Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus doesn't pray for everyone, but he does pray for all of his elect. All whom he has redeemed with his own precious blood. All whom he has loved with an everlasting love. And has laid down his life for at the cross as he bare away their sins. We see an example of the great heavenly high priest praying not for everyone, but for his redeemed. In John chapter 17 and verse 9, where he said to his, to his father, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Very clear in the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for Some, but not for all. If you are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for the, and for everlasting salvation, then you can be absolutely certain that as your great heavenly high priest, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he intercedes for you 
for you personally. Fourthly, what does Jesus pray for? Let's have a look at our verses again. Verses 31-32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. We have it there in verse 32. I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. As Jesus said to Simon Peter, I have prayed for thee, thy faith fail not. As such, Jesus was not praying that Simon Peter would be exempt from satanic attack or from temptations to sin, but that despite everything that came his way, his faith would not altogether evaporate. Sure enough, even though Peter went on to deny the Lord Jesus Christ three times, he very soon repented of his cowardice. As it is written in Matthew chapter 26, verse 75, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. This is straight after denying Jesus for the third time. He went out and wept bitterly. Consequently, in the strength of the Lord, Simon Peter went on greatly to serve the Lord, having repented of his sin. And we see testimony to that fact in various places in the New Testament, particularly Acts of the Apostles. How greatly used Simon Peter was in service to the Lord God. Dear Christian, does Jesus pray that his Father will remove you from all your trials and your spiritual warfare, satanic attacks, that he will immediately beam you up to the safety of heaven? Does Jesus pray pray for these things? You'll know from your own bitter experiences of being bombarded from temptations, uh, bombarded with temptations from the evil one, that Jesus does not pray for those things. In fact, in John chapter 17 and verse 15, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. In other words, Jesus prays not that you will not be tempted by Satan, but that your faith will not fail and that you will not yield and cave into his temptations and that you will not be devoured by him. Take great comfort from knowing that if Jesus prays to his Father that your faith fails not, then all of you who abide in Jesus and in his love Your faith will not fail. It's as sure as that. Because think who is praying that prayer. The beloved Son of God. Why does God allow satanic attacks? You may well be wondering, why on earth does God allow Satan to do what he does to his loved ones? Does it make any sense? 
Why does God allow Satan to attack you who are loved with an everlasting love, whether that attack is directly or indirectly through the agency of others? Well, it might help if we consider what it was that Satan wanted to do to Simon Peter. As we see there in verse 31, Satan have desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. That's what it says. Think about what happens when wheat is sifted. The grains are tossed and thrown all over the place in a sieve or else they are threshed and winnowed. I think that's right. I'm no expert on these things, but uh, I guess that's about it. In that way, Satan seeks to destroy, especially the church and individual Christians. Satan seeks to destroy anything and everything, for sure. But in particular, he will set his sights on the church and on Christians who are busy living born-again lives for the glory of God. If a Christian is doing nothing, or if someone is doing nothing to glorify Jesus, then he's like an empty vessel. And can you imagine a pirate raiding an empty vessel? There's no point, is there? There's nothing there to, to, to get. But a spirit-filled Christian, and someone who earnestly seeks to live his life for the glory of God is a target for the devil. His aim is to trouble and destroy all who belong to Jesus and who abide in his love. However, God, who is sovereign over all things, uses that sifting for holy use. This is where we see the providence of God again. Talking about that this morning. God, who gives Satan permission to attack Christians and, uh, and godly people. But we see God at work, working out his purpose and all things working for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God uses that sifting for holy use as a refining process, sifting out the rubbish, refining and purging his children of their worldly and their carnal affections and making them more like Jesus. We can see this to be the case in Amos, in the Old Testament, Amos chapter 9 and verse 9, that God sifts. He did so with Israel. As it is written in Amos chapter 9 and verse 9, for surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. I've got a, a fairly long quote from John Gill, the Bible commentator, that's worth listening to here. John Gill, straight away, he identifies Israel in Amos chapter 9 as being the church. And he has every reason to do so because the Apostle Peter does exactly the same thing in Acts chapter 15. Now listen to what uh, John Gill said here. This is to be understood of spiritual Israel, of those who are Israelites indeed, who are like to corns of wheat, first die before they live, die unto sin and live unto righteousness. 
grow up gradually and produce much fruit, or like to wheat for their choiceness and excellency, being the chosen of God and precious, and the excellent in the earth, and their whiteness and purity as clothed with Christ's righteousness, washed in his blood and sanctified by his spirit, and for their substance and fullness being filled out of Christ's fullness, and with all the fullness of God, with the Spirit and his graces, and with all the fruits of righteousness, and for weight and solidity, not as chaff driven to and fro, but are firm and constant, settled and established in divine things, and yet have the chaff of sin cleaving to them, and have need of the flail and fan of affliction, And this is the sieve that the Lord takes into his hands and sifts them with, whereby sometimes they are greatly unsettled and tossed to and fro, have no rest and ease, but are greatly distressed on all sides and are thoroughly searched and tried and the chaff loosened and separated from them. And sometimes the Lord suffers them to be sifted by the temptations of Satan, whereby they are brought into doubts and fears and are very wavering and uncomfortable and are sadly harassed and buffeted and in great danger were it not for the grace of God and the intercession of the mediator. That's quite a long comment there, isn't it, from um, Gil, but I found it extremely helpful and I, I, I certainly related to the things he was saying there in my own life. We can see how God was lovingly and graciously dealing with Simon Peter as he used that sifting process for Peter's good and for his glory. For example, Peter had previously been full of bravado and boastful about his faith. I think we all know that about the Apostle Peter. He said to Jesus, now get this, this is, uh, I'll quote this, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Suggesting that his faith was greater than everyone else's. Sounds about right for him, doesn't it? But then what happened when he was tempted and his faith was put to the test by none other than a young girl? He bottled it. Just look at um, Luke chapter 22, verses 56 and 57. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. Again, not only once, Not twice, but three times over a short period of time. Peter, the one who said that he would never stumble, even if everyone else did, he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, Peter needed a lesson in humility, and that lesson paid off. The lesson is what we're reading about here in our verses 31 and verses 31 and 32. We can see that the lesson paid off later on when the resurrected Saviour 
met his disciples and he spoke to Peter. Um, you keep your finger in Luke chapter 22, turn over the pages to John chapter 21, right at the end of John's Gospel. If you've never really understood these verses before, you might understand them now. Luke chapter 21, sorry, John chapter 21. Let's read from verse 15. This is after Jesus was risen, having laid down his life at the cross, and he met with his disciples. Verse 15. So, when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus asked Peter about his love for him. And the boastfulness was gone. Not once did Peter claim to love Jesus more than all the others. As a result of that terrible ordeal where Peter was sorely tempted by Satan, by the grace of God, he came out of it converted. I've turned back to Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 32. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And what did we read in uh, John chapter, the last verses there? Jesus, yeah, in verse 16, in chapter 21 of John, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And now we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 32, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. As a result of what Peter went through, he came out of it converted. Inasmuch he entered into that temptation, a proud and boastful man, but he came out of it humbled, more Christ-like. And we see how he was given that position of eminence in the early church, one of the church leaders. Again, he was chosen by Jesus to, to do so many great things. Finally, All of you who belong to Jesus, as day by day you draw on God's enabling grace to resist the evil one, keep looking unto him, 
your great heavenly high priest who intercedes for you, who prays that your faith fails not. Take great comfort from that. Also praise God that not so much Satan, but he, almighty God, is the one who is sifting you and making you more Christ-like through your trials and through your temptations. Amen.